You're listening to Right Where You Are, hosted by New York Times bestselling author, creator, and speaker, Jason Wright. With inspiring guest interviews and Jason's unique lens on life, this is the place to see the good in the world, to lift and be lifted, no matter your starting point, to make a difference that matters. And we'll do it all together, right where you are. Hello, world. It's Jason Wright. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to the podcast. This is Right Where You Are, and I am glad that you're here. It is really hard to believe that we are approaching about a month from now, the one-year mark of the show. In April, we'll hit uh, episode 52, and we'll use this week as an opportunity to make a special announcement. I will be pausing the podcast at the one-year mark at episode 52 uh, to sort of retool a little bit and reevaluate some of the things that we might want to do in our second year of the show. I'll be reaching out to some of you, some of those that have been following the podcast from the beginning, to sort of hear how you think this year has unfolded and the kinds of guests and the kinds of topics that you might want us to cover uh, in future episodes. So uh, be aware that at the one-year mark here in about a month or so, uh, we'll be pausing weekly episodes for the time being. Until then, I promise uh, we'll have some fun and we've got some some really fun things in store, including today where I am both the guest uh, and the host uh, and the producer for that matter. Um, I am doing everything on my own this week. I decided that it would be interesting as we celebrate uh, the last week before the release of Even the Dog Knows, if I took some of your questions. So I reached out uh, to some of you by social media and email and text and said, what kinds of things would you like me to talk about? What questions do you have? And my friend, they run the gamut. So we're going to talk a little a little bit about the things you're curious about on this uh, week's episode of the show. Again, Even the Dog Knows comes out March 8th. I am hearing from some around the country that they are receiving their books early. We might have a word on that later uh, in the show. Uh, but if you have the book and you are reading the book, I'm thankful. If you like the book, I hope that you'll leave a review on Amazon uh, or wherever you bought the book. Reviews are so helpful to authors as we try to find um, an audience in the early weeks of a book. Uh, believe it or not, you only have a few weeks before bookstores and even online retailers decide if it's worth caring and promoting your book much longer. So the first few weeks out of the gate are really, really important. And I am starting to hear from some people that have read the advanced copy of the book telling me that they enjoyed it and connected. So that is obviously very meaningful to me. All right, let's uh, let's dive into some of your questions. And they do they do run the gamut. Um We'll start with uh, Kim from Utah. Uh, Kim is in Davis County, Utah, and she says that she would like to know how I organize thoughts as I'm writing. Do I follow the arc of each character separately, or do I let them all jumble together and see how they interact within the plot? What a great question, and in the many years that I have been doing this, I don't think I've ever had that question posed, certainly not anywhere near that eloquently. I like that a lot. Kim, um, I I tend to start with story first. That's the, the most important thing to me in writing a novel is, is what's the core story and what are the lessons? And then the characters kind of come from there. And I know that's a little bit backward. Some authors start with really compelling characters and then build stories around them. And I suppose that I have done that a couple of times, um, but I tend to I tend to ask myself, what's the story that I want to tell? 
And then I ask myself, who are the characters best suited to telling that story? And and can I can I craft you know believable characters in this fictional world that can help tell this story? In terms of organizing my thoughts, um, I'm a I'm a mix of a um, by the seat of my pants writer and an outline writer. So I I do a little bit of both. I do tend to know where I want the major pivot points in the book to come and and how I want the book to end, what that climax toward the end of the book will look like. Um, but then I sort of let it unfold. So I, I have described it before as sort of being a skeleton where I have this sort of rough idea of the bones of the story and where they all should be and how they might work. And then I I let it grow from there. Um, I have experimented with lots of different ways of of outlining and storytelling, and I've sort of found that works best for me. So I might sit down with a single page, write um, some bullet points that fill up one page, maybe two, and that that can very easily become the skeleton of of what I want to do. Um, great, great question. Um, all right, let's see. I let's see, Catherine. Uh, Catherine is actually my childhood neighbor from Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, she still lives down there. I've known her and her family. Uh, her mom is uh, one of the most wonderful women um, I've ever known. She she passed away and um, been just over a year, but just a remarkable woman. And Catherine has a really interesting question that has absolutely nothing to do with the writing, um, but that I'd love to talk about. Catherine says, uh, this came through on Facebook, do you believe there really is a hell, or do we live in hell slash heaven on earth, and real life begins when we go to the hereafter? What a question, uh, friends. You can tell that she has a lot uh, on her mind right now. I My faith background, um, I am a, I'm a Christian. I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, specifically uh, that is my Christian home, and I, my background tells me that um, hell is a place with fire and brimstone and people running around with horns on their head is not is not realistic. That's that's not something that we uh, that we really believe in. Um, I believe that we will arrive at the other side of this life and have something that will feel like an interview uh, with our Father in Heaven, an accounting of our life. Um, perhaps he'll say something like, here were the great gifts you were given, Jason or Catherine or Kim or whomever. What did you do with them? And how did you grow closer to me? And how did you lift you know, those around you? And we'll be judged by the life we lived, by the choices we made, by the promises that we kept or didn't keep. And and for me, the idea of a of a hell will be more um, the notion on the other side that I could have done more and should have done more, and perhaps won't attain the full glory that I might, uh, and certainly that I would want to in the hereafter. Uh, I think that hell could be a feeling of um, feeling damned in terms of eternal progression. Now, uh, having said that, I. I think that our Father in Heaven and our elder brother, Jesus Christ, I believe with all of my heart that they always err on the side of mercy. 
always, always, always err on the side of mercy and and grace. And so I suspect there will be lots of people in quote unquote heaven on the other side continuing to learn and progress who maybe I'll look at and think, well, I'm kind of surprised to see so-and-so there or that guy that cut me off in traffic or that guy that stole money from me in a you know in a previous business venture. I I might look around I might look around the room up there and, and be a little bit surprised. And for that I should feel shamed, right? Because none of that is is up to me to determine. Um, but I, I think that heaven will be full of people who didn't necessarily believe exactly the same things here on earth, but who knew that there was something more to this life um, than today, who focused their life on seeing and serving and loving others and inviting others to know Christ better. And all of us, obviously, in our own personal discipleship learning to, to love him better, to know him better. Um, and I love the second part of that question. Uh, real life begins when we go to the hereafter. No, I think real life begins now in terms of the choices we make. I think that the choices we make today determine our eternal destiny. And if we've made mistakes, and if you're listening, you've made mistakes. I certainly have. That's the whole point of this life is to make mistakes. Well, those mistakes are a part of real life. And where we end up on the other side, how we're reunited with our families on the other side has a lot to do with the with the choices that we make today and with our willingness to get better, to repent and to turn away from our mistakes of the past and to try to be um, a little bit better. As a sort of a, a tag on to that, I do believe in the power of temples in, in the modern world today. Um, my faith tells me that temples were important uh, anciently to God, and so they would of course, be important today in a modern world that prepares um, for a second coming, which, uh, of course, we believe in. A great questions, Catherine. I appreciate that. Uh, Jean wants to know uh, what new books or projects I'm working on. She's from Columbus, Ohio. Um, well, of course, uh, Even the Dog Knows comes out. Everyone knows that. I'm excited to talk about that. Um, I'll be talking a lot about that at events and school visits and library and bookstore events and on the media for the next uh, several months in particular. I am working on a, uh, oh, sorry. And then in August, I have a book on grief coming out. It's called Until You Find Strength. It is a, it's a short book. It's, it's nonfiction. It's essentially my, um, if I were going to stand up in church or, um, you know, at a funeral service or something and to offer a few remarks on grief, that's what this will, will feel like. It is uh, coming from the same publisher from Shadow Mountain. The art is beautiful. As I said, it's a it's a short book. It's a sit down and read it in, you know, five or ten minutes and give it to someone in your life who is suffering. Give it to yourself if you're suffering, uh, and give it to those hopefully around you who are going through hard times. And some might be in the middle of or at the very beginning of their grief journey, and some might be in the middle, and some might be, you know, looking back on grief in their past and wondering. Um, if they have fully healed or not. So um, that is called Until You Find Strength. I believe that that is also available on Amazon for pre-order, but it, it does not release until until August. Um, let's see. A Jody wants to know, from Indiana, wants to know about future films. And um, she said in a Facebook message, she said she loved Christmas Jar, saw it with her family, and that they were new to the tradition. Um, 
I'm assuming that means had had not read the book or was not not familiar with the book of the movement until seeing the film and then going back and reading the book, which is wonderful. Um, thank you. Great question. Um, and thank you to those of you listening that supported Christmas Jars. It was um, the highlight of our career. And I say our because my family has been such an important part of it uh, to to see that film finally made with a wonderful, talented team. Uh, Muse Studios had a um, a role to play in that. BYU Television had a role to play in that. Um, Fathom Events had a huge role to play in that and getting us on almost a thousand screens um, two years ago. So just huge thanks to the whole team that came together to <laughs> for a 15-year journey for that finally to be made. Um, so, so grateful for that. Um, the Wednesday Letters has been the closest, but I've been saying that for a number of years. Right before COVID, we were as close as we'd ever been in terms of assembling a team. We had raised some money and invested some money, um, commissioned a really beautiful script that I absolutely love um, and that I think will play very, very well on screen. Um, I have posted on social media a little bit. I had a um, uh, kind of a meet and greet with Queen Latifah on the set of a movie that she was shooting down in Georgia at the time. And then a couple of weeks later, uh, our friend COVID came through uh, the United States and shut the world down. And I mean, we were literally in lockdown within a couple of weeks of that meeting and and it has been hard to get our traction back. But we are we're moving in that direction. I have a, a very good friend and a very talented writer working on a script for The Cross Gardener right now. And uh, what I have read so far is stunning. I think um, it will also play very well as a film. I don't know how many of you have read The Cross Gardener. It's It's been out for about a decade, but it uh, it may finally find its way in. And actually, we're working on a docu-series potential with Christmas jars that I can't say a whole lot about yet, but there's some renewed interest um, in that. And uh, you know, we look at uh, this brand new book, Even the Dog Knows, and see that it's got potential. I have a director and a producer reading the novel now, and who knows? Um, sometimes these things um, come up quickly. Uh, I mean, they just, you know, a film can be in production while a book is still selling well in stores, and sometimes it can take 10 or 20 years for a book to finally make its way to the big screen. So, um Thank you for the question. We are not going to give up. That is for sure. And I do feel like as COVID is beginning to sort of work its way into the background that we're we're getting close. Um, all right. Uh, Michael in Tempe, Arizona is asking a little bit about um, a synopsis on the new book. And um, it's a great point. The Amazon synopsis is very, very long. So if if you're maybe new to the, the podcast, and perhaps he is, um, Here's the best way to sum up uh, Even the Dog Knows. So the book is about a couple who's been married for 40 years, whose marriage appears to be dissolving at the very beginning of the book. Like there's a prologue in the past, uh, 1950, and then there's there's uh, 1989, which is where the action begins in chapter one. Uh, fast forward three years later, this couple is uh, now apart, one living, the husband in Virginia, the wife living in Florida, and um, he gets a letter from his estranged wife saying, will you please bring the family dog Moses to Florida? I want to say goodbye. And that letter and his debate and decision on whether he's willing to make that thousand mile road trip sets off the entire story. Um, there will be a road trip. It will happen on a baseball bus. They will take the family dog. And at its core, it becomes um, a story of 
healing and forgiveness? And are they willing to give it? And there are some twists and turns along the the road, literally and figuratively on this road trip that I think that people will uh, will really appreciate in a, a huge twist at the end that I think is, um, I hope is a moving experience for people as the final pieces of the puzzle sort of come together. Uh, and I haven't talked a lot about this, but I'll tell you that the title, um, it was originally called The Bust of Gulf Breeze. And I know many people that are regular listeners of the podcast know that because I wrote Bust a Gulf Breeze two years ago live online on Google Docs with the world watching through the process of working with my publisher and editing and fine tuning some plot points. Um, we got to the point that they said, look, we got to change the title. We need something that just is a little bit of a better fit. And so we brainstormed and we came up with even the dog nose. And uh, it is a line that one of the characters, uh, not a main character, but um, uh, actually a character you don't even get to know particularly well throughout the course of the novel, um, utters that line, uh, even the dog knows. What does the dog know? Why does the dog know it? That will become really important. Um, But the notion is everyone knows. Everyone knows why this is happening. I mean, for Pete's sake, even the dog knows. There's a truck driving by, in case you wondered. (laughs) Okay, um, great question. Thank you. Um, Let's see. Let's scroll along here to, to David Kaiser. David Kaiser, um, up in PA, uh, David wants to know a little bit about where the ideas come from. Um, great question, David. I, I pay attention to the world around me, and I tend to find that there are really good stories everywhere we look. And while I have dabbled in um, some, other, you know, some children's fiction, and I'm, I have a long in progress children's book uh, called The Lost Carnival that I'm, that I'm workshopping now to kind of polish up again. Basically, everything I've written has been either uh, nonfiction or adult contemporary fiction, because I just find that the really great stories that can move and inspire and and teach us to be better are right around us. And you don't have to you don't have to go far into a fantasy world to find those. Now, I have huge respect for those who write fantasy and science fiction, and some of my favorite writers work in those genres. But for me personally, I tend to respond well to a story that I know is fiction, but that I think might actually have happened in my neighborhood or could have or down the street or across town or or whatever. But but the story feels real. The circumstances feel real. Does it seem a little unbelievable? Like, like Christmas jars? Like, wow, this baby was abandoned in a diner? Well, sure, that seems pretty. That seems pretty unbelievable, but it doesn't stretch the imagination so far that you give up and say, well, that, that can't be. Uh, so for me, David, I get, I get a lot of my ideas for my books from things I have experienced, from lessons I am trying to teach myself. Um, I've had ideas that I have scribbled down on an airplane because I just, you know, someone next to me said something interesting or the people behind me are having a really loud debate about licorice. And I just, I find it interesting. And so I end up scribbling a few lines into my journal about um, the pros and cons of uh, black and red licorice because I overheard it from an elderly couple on a plane. And so you you never know, David, when you have a conversation with me, if it might uh, end up in a book somewhere. And actually, uh, that leads me to a really good question. That was my phone. 
This is a raw podcast episode, folks. We're not editing any of this out. You're getting you're getting the real deal. Uh, this question comes from Aaron, who had a question, um, and actually, um, I, I think I've talked about this before, but I'll hit it again real quick about character names. Um, all of the characters in my books are named after real people. Now, that doesn't mean that they match the characteristics. So, you know, if I've had someone kind of unlikable named Aaron, for example, sorry, Aaron, um, in a book, that doesn't mean that Aaron in real life is unlikable at all. It just means I wanted to use his name. And it's a little bit of a shout out. It's kind of a wink and a nod and an Easter egg to people that I know and love and former teachers and neighbors, um, people that probably still do not know that I used their name in one of my books um, for whatever reason, because years have passed and maybe they don't even know I'm a writer. I don't chase them down to say, hey, I, I used your um, I used your name in a book. Uh, but many people do find out and will reach out and say, hey, I know that you use this name or this unusual spelling. Is that me? So um, there's, there's really no, there's no reason for it. And I don't know other authors that do it other than I just feel like it gives me an opportunity to um, to show a little love to people. And even the dog knows there, um, there are a lot of characters from that time of my life, two years ago when I was writing the book, when I happened to still be serving as a bishop in our local congregation here in Woodstock, Virginia. And I was working really closely with young people, with teenagers uh, in, our, in our congregation. And so I used, I think all of their names appear somewhere in the book. Um, there might be a few that were edited out that I'll have to pick up um, down the road. But I have used, uh, again, children and now grandchildren. Um, the The lead character is named Gary, and he is, of course, uh, named after my grandson. So um, yeah, great, great question. Happy to talk about that. Um, you, you just never know when your your name will pop up in a book, and sometimes even it's not the name of a character, but the name of a landmark or a pizza place, um, or you know, some internet based business that's named after someone. I've, I've even done that, so it's uh, that has been that's been a lot of fun. All right, let's see if we have time for one more question here. Let's see, Abigail, where's Abigail from? Abigail is from just outside Seattle, and Abigail had, uh, oh, thank you. Abigail read my uh, my post about Pilgrim, our uh, golden doodle who passed away a couple of years ago, and um, I've written a couple of times about him, posted often about him when he, when he was with us, and since his passing, I've written quite a bit about him, and, and um, I think, thank you so much for for even mentioning him. That's that's very sweet of you. Um, and the question is, you know, how important have other dogs been in my life? And um, is there some pilgrim written into the new novel? That is a very interesting question. Um, the The name of the dog in the book is Moses. He's a black lab. Um, he is um, sort of upper middle-aged black lab. Um, but he is... He has some of the personality traits I think that Pilgrim had, um, but I try to be careful to not, you know, humanize him too much. Um, but the, th- I, I guess the best parallel, Abigail, is the uh, the thing that Pilgrim and Moses have in common in, is a sense that they just know things about people. And Pilgrim absolutely had this gift of knowing when to just come up and love a little more. And um, you know, when mom was not feeling well or a child wasn't feeling well. He would be glued to them and to their side, and that you know the head goes on their lap when they're on the couch, or a lick on the foot, or whatever it might be. And and certainly Moses in the book, though fictional, 
has some of those same characteristics where he's selfless and he's willing to sleep in an uncomfortable position on the couch or on the floor uh, or next to the bed if it means giving a little bit of comfort to one of his one of his people um i i talk a lot about the you know the the comfort and the friendship that we gained from pilgrim throughout the years he was the perfect dog for our family uh, he wasn't a perfect dog but he was absolutely the right fit and and i i believe and i think this comes through the book that um, you know, animals are every much God's creation as we are. Now we understand the order of things and animals are not people. And, and as I said a minute ago, we try not to humanize them too much, but, but they do, I mean, if they're God's creation, then of course they, they go to the families they need to go to. Um, and I think if we care for them and we love them and we're kind to them and we treat them like God's creations, then they do the same for us. And so in that sense, yeah, there is a lot of pilgrim in Moses uh, in that we we loved him dearly and I would have driven, you know, around the planet if I needed to uh, for pilgrim. And certainly if pilgrim needed to say goodbye to someone uh, and I knew that it involved, you know, some sacrifice on my part, I would have had no problem throwing pilgrim in the car and making a, a road trip. In this case, it's a, it's a thousand mile trip. Uh, that Moses and his people will embark on from Woodstock to Gulfbury. So um, great, great question. All right. So I, I teased at the beginning, maybe we talk about the bestseller list. I, I do have a question uh, about that from Kent. Um, it's a it's a almost a completely different podcast episode by itself. So the short version is that uh, bestseller lists are not usually based on raw sales. Um, even the New York Times admits that it's it's a little bit curated. Uh, there's a an outfit called BookScan that scans um, and tracks book sales every week across online retailers and brick and mortar retailers and distributors and, and you name it. In theory, they should be tracking it, but even they admit BookScan that they only get seventy to eighty percent of of book sales. Um, and again, back to the New York Times, it is it is. Sometimes the list is closely reflected, you know, based on sales, and sometimes uh, sometimes not. It is still editors that are looking at how books are selling and ultimately selecting the books that make um, that coveted list. Some of the books, some of my books have made the list, some haven't. Uh, this book, Even the Dog Knows, is extremely unlikely to make that bestseller list or any list because uh, the book was set to come out March 8th, and some retailers have been shipping the book early. Um, Amazon in particular started shipping it almost as soon as they came out. So, uh, you know, they'd been sitting on pre-orders at Amazon for six months. And um, as soon as they got books in from the publisher to their various warehouses, um, you know, it would have been nice if they had waited until March 8th. Uh, but because they're shipping books now and they're trickling out, some books will be shipped and counted this week, which won't be enough for a list. Some books will be shipped and counted next week, uh, which won't be enough for a list. And actually a few were counted last week because I started hearing reports as early as Wednesday and Thursday of, of the previous week that books were were showing up. And even today I've gotten um, some messages from people saying that their Amazon and Barnes & Noble books have come. So anyway, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot going on in the world, friends. And, um, you know, making a bestseller list uh, does not um, does not validate me or my work. Uh, it would be lovely. And of course I would wouldn't be honest for me to say that it doesn't matter at all, because of course it it does matter. But you know, in the world we're living in today, um, with so much chaos and what's happening in Ukraine right now, 
and with the just human suffering everywhere, not just there, the idea that that someone like me would lose sleep and get worked up and angry and litigate legally, whatever, um, something about a, a bestseller list seems a little bit um, shallow, doesn't it? So uh, if we were to make a list of wonderful, if we don't, I hope from the bottom of my toes that you will enjoy the book. And if you enjoy the book, that you'll tell someone else about it. Uh, you know, in closing, people ask me all the time, what's the most helpful thing that they can do uh, when a book comes out? Obviously, it's to buy a copy of the book for yourself. That's that's very helpful. Um, but even more than that, it's talking about it. I had an agent tell me once the best way for your book to become a hit and a part of the culture around the country for people um, to to be aware of it is for everyone to talk about it and to talk about it so much that their neighbor says, will you please stop talking about that book? Uh, that is how books like Christmas Jars and the Wednesday Letters uh, and the 17 Second Miracle did as well as they did and continued to sell because people just kept talking about what the book meant to them. So um, that that is how you can help an author like me. And for that, I'm tremendously grateful. All right. Wonderful questions. This was a lot of fun, a little strange, just me, no Zoom, no guest, uh, just me in the little studio, but I've enjoyed it. Thank you for submitting your questions. Perhaps we'll do this again in the future. Again, a reminder, this is, uh, we're in the final countdown to uh, a pause on the podcast where we will sort of reevaluate a little bit what we're going to do. If you have suggestions for people you want to hear on the show, for great ideas, for some specialized, uh, even podcast series where we might start a new show altogether that's focused on something specific, please reach out to me on social media through my website. Share those ideas with me as we do a little bit of regrouping uh, here about a month from now. Thank you again for your support, uh, for listening, for reading, for following me on social media. I have said a million times, and I'll say it again to you today, the best thing about being a writer is when readers become friends. And I have the most wonderful, genuine, authentic, kind, and giving friend group on the planet. And that is because of you. So thank you. And we'll be back next week. Thank you for joining us on Right Where You Are. For more information about Jason and his projects, visit him online at jasonfright.com or on social media at facebook.com slash jfwbooks, or on Instagram at Jason F. Wright. And be sure to subscribe to Right Where You Are, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This has been a production of Right Media Productions, copyright 2021 by Jason F. Wright. All rights reserved.